Um, now I'm going to dive into the sermon today, which if you've been with us the past couple of weeks, you know um, Pastor Alex fabulously launched us into this new series talking about what it looks like to be people of the kingdom. And uh, even though I was gone, I still watched his sermons, still watched the services. And uh, I love something that he said during week one. He said this, if we are following King Jesus, then we become citizens of his kingdom. And then he went on to elaborate and he said, if we're citizens of a different kingdom, then there are characteristics of us as people that are distinct from people in other kingdoms. And the purpose of this series is to talk about or to look at or for us to even lean into ourselves personally those distinctives that make us the people of the kingdom. And so each week we're, we're looking at what it means to live as these people and specifically as several different topics. Uh, last week we talked about being people of love. Today we're talking about people of peace. We're going to talk about people of power, people of justice, people of freedom, and people of truth. But not as the world defines love or, or peace or power or justice or freedom or truth, but as Jesus defines those things. Because after all, it's his kingdom. And last time I checked, he gets to define things in his kingdom. Are you with me on this? And so we're diving into what he says about all of these different things. And as we dive into the, the one I'm covering today, um, I've got a bit of a confession that I want to make up front and, and I'm not simply confessing something that I've done. Um, I'm, I'm, this is a tendency for people like me, people in positions like mine. This is a tendency of pastors, I think. Problem for pastors. See, my desire um, is that the outcome of my life, like when I'm dead and gone, my hope is that more people would love Jesus because of me. That's it. Like when I think about what I want people to say or know, I hope that at the end of my days, there are more people who fell in love with Jesus because of the way I live my life. And, and, and if people already knew Jesus when I met him, then my desire is that they'd love Jesus more than, than after I met them. That's just like the most basic thing. That's the heartbeat of why I believe I'm on this planet. And, and the way that I do that is by helping people see how wonderful Jesus is or just to see uh, how Jesus resolves certain tensions in our lives or how Jesus answers some of the deeper questions that we're longing to have answered or how he delivers on promises that we're hoping would be delivered on. And so the logic is really simple. If I can just get you to see Jesus the way I see Jesus or, or, or allow you to see Jesus the way you need to see Jesus, that he meets you in practical ways, then maybe you'll fall in love with Jesus. Makes sense, right? Tracking with me. Here's where it gets problematic though. Because we live in a highly consumer-driven culture like nothing ever seen before. There's never been a culture that's been so consumer-driven as ours. There's this capacity for us to commodify Jesus. And that's a really slippery slope. Western culture is so focused on the consumer, so focused on the customer, always getting what they want, always getting their way. And so pretty rapidly, the message of Jesus can become this very lopsided presentation about how Jesus gives you what you want, but we never talk about the things that Jesus wants. You with me in this? So it's all about Jesus meeting your needs, but what about the stuff Jesus is inviting us into? Like he gives us everything we're looking for and more. So if you want joy, well, Jesus is gonna give you joy. And if, and if your relationships are spiraling, well, then Jesus can help in those relationships. Are you struggling with insecurity? Jesus can give you confidence. You need purpose and meaning. Jesus can help you with that. I can go on, right? 
And I'm not saying that these things aren't true. They certainly are true. But my desire for you to love Jesus and our society's orientation around consumerism results in this lopsided presentation of the way of Jesus, what it means to be people of the way of Jesus, which means that in many cases, we're missing out on the whole truth of what it means to be a Jesus person. And the idea that we're looking at today is a perfect example of this. Let me explain. One of the number one associated words with Jesus is the word peace. So in the book of Isaiah, when Isaiah was talking about the future Messiah, he was describing Jesus as the Prince of Peace. Uh, At the birth of Jesus, when the angels are announcing his birth, what do they begin with? Peace and goodwill to all men, right? There's this announcement of peace. Uh, When when Jesus is describing his gospel and when others describe his gospel multiple times in the scriptures, it's described as the gospel of peace. In John chapter 17, um, or 14, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says, my peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. A few chapters later, he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. So over and over and over again, we hear the word peace and Jesus put together, which means that the mission of Jesus and the message of Jesus is about delivering this thing called peace. And so it's not an intellectual or ideological jump for us to say that as people of the kingdom, we ought to also be people of peace. Jesus and his way are clearly connected to peace. But here's where this gets challenging, and especially because of our societal orientation and the way we approach Jesus, we have this lopsided understanding of what it means to be people of peace. People of peace. When you see this phrase, people of peace, and you look at it, and you think, what would it be like for me to be be a person of peace? What do you think of? What kinds of descriptors would you use? What comes to mind? Does that mean you're the kind of person that you experience calm during the storm? Does being a person of peace mean that you have decreased anxiety in a high-pressure environment? Like as the pressure goes up, your anxiety goes down? Is that what being a person of peace means? Does it mean that you have internal tranquility when there's external chaos? Do you think Jesus wants those things for you? Yeah, I think he does. I think he does. In fact, I really believe he wants this for you. And I think one of the greatest examples of the power of Jesus is the peace that his followers have during trials, during difficult times. I have this friend, he's one of my closest friends. Uh, he also happens to not be a follower of Jesus. And we have all sorts of conversations around spirituality. And, and about a year and a half or two years ago, he came to me. And um, by the way, he, he spent his whole career working in an ICU unit. And so he came to me and he said, you know, it's really interesting. He said, I see two kinds of Christians that come into the ICU. He said, there are people that claim to be Christians. And he said, they respond to the crisis of the moment, the loss or the illness or whatever it is. They respond just like everybody else. But then he goes, but then there are some Christians. And he was asking me to explain the difference. He goes, there's some Christians that in those same circumstances, there is this calm, there is this peace or this ability to navigate the very thing that's wrecking everybody else, and they do it with this relative calm. 
And, and I won't get into the rest of, of what I described to him, but I want to go back and just say, do you realize that he saw the power of Jesus in the lives of people through the peace that they had in the storm? So I believe that that's a very important part of this. However, if that is all we understand this to be, if that's all that it is, if all of it is just this personal peace, then we're only getting half of what Jesus is calling us to. To, to say that, that what people of peace means would, is this thing that I've just described would be like um, take, telling a calculus professor that you understand all of mathematics after taking Algebra 1, right? It's part of it, but it's not all of it, not even close, right? Having calm in the storm, being less anxious, under pressure, experiencing tranquility, that is like 101 of people of peace, do I want that for you? Absolutely. Do I want that for myself? Of course I do. I want that for all of us, and I think Jesus wants that for us. And, and let me also say this. As a person who regularly struggles and battles with anxiety, I'm not minimizing this aspect of what it means to be a person of peace by any means. But Jesus takes our understanding of this idea of what it means and he elevates it. He brings new dimensions to it. He expands our understanding beyond what we have tended to think as consumers living in this culture. Let me just show you something. Uh, in Matthew chapter five, Jesus gives us one of the most significant sermons in his life. It's called the Sermon on the Mount and it's really the centerpiece. It's kind of the main course of the life and ministry of Jesus and it begins in a really interesting way. Um, Jesus begins by appealing to something that everybody wants. Everybody wants to be blessed. Everybody wants to have the blessed life. In other words, all of us desire to have a life that when you look at it, it has evidence of the favor of God on it. Like you can look at different points or different places and you say, man, I have just been, like I've experienced mercy and grace and I've been blessed beyond whatever I imagined. We all desire that. And so Jesus understands that. He starts to tell the pathway to being a blessed person and what it looks like, but then he flips the script and he starts this way and he says, those that are blessed are are those that are poor in spirit. Those that are blessed are those that mourn. Those that are blessed are those that are meek. Those that are blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those that are merciful. Those that are pure in heart. And then he gets to verse nine and he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Peace makers, those that make peace. Not just receive it, not just experience it during trials, but those that make peace will be called children of God. I think it's important for us to understand that Jesus spoke these words into the air of a culture that thought the opposite of everything he was just saying. He spoke to a humanity that believed the opposite. For them, and probably for many of us, blessed are those who have joy, not those who mourn. Blessed are those who are strong, not those who are meek or weak. Blessed are those who take what they want, those who have power over others, those who get their way, those who choose the winning team. That peacemaking, blessed are those who make peace. I think it's important 
to recognize that by doing this and by including peacemaking in this list, that Jesus is identifying something about being a peacemaker that is true of all of us as human beings. And that's that it doesn't come naturally. For most of us, our natural response is not peacemaking. Let me just give you an an example. I'm gonna show you a few images in just a moment. And I want you to take stock of these images. I want you just to look at them and I want you to think about what your response is. What's your internal, your heart response to these images as I show them to you? So, So here's the first one. Here's another one. What's in your heart when you see these? What do you, what do you feel? How about this third one? I know we've been seeing these images for a while the last few weeks. And so maybe your first response today isn't what it was a few weeks ago. But I know how I felt when these images first started to emerge. I felt anger. And I think it was righteous anger. But then it grew. And as it grew, I need to confess to you that the idea of peacemaking in my own personal heart... (laughs) I didn't say these things publicly. I did say it to a few friends, but the idea of peacemaking was nowhere in sight. I picked a side. I picked a side and I wanted to buy a plane ticket. I told a couple of friends, I wish I could get on a plane and grab a rifle and get on the front lines and defend the people of Ukraine. I was not interested in peacemaking. My gut instinct was side-taking and eradicating at least one person in the world. And I'll let you guess who that is. Why? because that's our natural inclination. It wasn't, it wasn't until last week when, when Sherry and I are gone and I'm in some time away and I was just thinking about everything that's happening in the world. It wasn't until then that I started, that my heart actually ached for peace. I, w- I was sitting in this one moment and I was just contemplating all that's happening and my heart suddenly just broke and I saw the world maybe as God sees it and I, just, I was just thinking to myself like, Like, what would it be like for there to be real peace? And this was the first time that I really thought about it. Like, real peace. Like, God, what's it going to take to bring peace into this world? Not just like, you know, the side I'm for wins or, or, or everybody goes back to their corners and crosses their borders. I mean, real peace. And I was just sitting thinking, like, what would that be like? And what would it take? And I ached for it. And it took me weeks to get there. It took me weeks to get my heart and my head wrapped around this situation in a way that I believe reflects the heart of Jesus. I just ached, ached for peace. Not for Vladimir Putin to fall over dead. I stopped that. But for peace, for enmity between human beings to end. Now, I know that I've just used the most extreme of examples to illustrate this idea, but it reflects the reality of how you and I respond to the skirmishes and the conflicts of everyday life. It's how we respond. By the way, conflict and animosity, they're not reserved for the battlefield, are they? They're not. 
I'm, and I'm not just talking about news and politics and the things you see on your TV or on the internet. I'm talking about stuff that happens at work, right? The animosity, the skirmishes at work. I'm talking about the things that happen on your sports teams, the things that take place in your neighborhoods. Um, if you've ever been to a youth sports game, I'm talking about the animosity on the sidelines between parents over kids who get playing time and kids that don't. I'm talking about all of this kinds of stuff, right? It exists, animosity and conflict exists in families, Take a deep breath. It even exists in churches, right? And we're constantly being challenged to pick a side. Well, whose side are you on in this? Whether it's family, work, sports, whatever it is. Whose side are you on? Which side are you on? You gotta pick a side because if you don't pick a side, then you're soft. That's what we're led to believe. But Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who pick the winning team. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. See, what Jesus does here is he calls us up. He calls us out of the present circumstances. He's calling us to something higher. He's calling us to something new. And it is new to us. This past week, I did something that I never thought I would ever do. I rooted for the Seattle Sounders. I'm a Timbers fan. I hate the Sounders. Those of you that know soccer, you know that the Sounders were playing for the Champions Cup, which allows them to go to the FIFA. If they won this, they would go to the FIFA World Club Cup Challenges or Championships. It would be the first time ever that an MLS American club would go to play the European top teams. And so naturally, like this is a win for, for American football. This is American soccer. This is a win for us. And so I have this friend, his name's Scott, and he's, a, he's a, just a passionate Sounders fan. We go to games together. He wears his Sounders jersey. I wear my Timbers jersey. We fight. We banter all year long about both of them. I text him and I said, I just want you to know I'm rooting for your team. And he said, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Well, they won on Thursday. So unbelievably, first time this has ever happened in history. And so in the morning, I had to congratulate my friend. And I was like, hey, congrats. This is great. A moral victory for all of us. And he said, yeah, isn't it wonderful? And I said, yeah. And by the way, for the record, immediately starting now, I am hating the Sounders once again. And he just texted back and said, fair enough. Like, we have an agreement. You're on that team, I'm on that team. And we rarely come to the middle, right? By the way, that's the way it always is. There's always team A and there's always team B. There's always the blue team and the red team, team one, team two. And Jesus comes along and says, by the way, you're on team three. And we scratch our heads and go, Wait, I didn't know team three existed. <laughs> what are you talking about? I just thought there was two teams. Like, what's our mascot? What's our name? Like, what color are our jerseys? I nerded out on that this week, and I thought, if Jesus had a team, what color would the jerseys be? What would be the name of the team? And what would the mascot be? And I won't bore you with the corny jokes that I came up with. I'm just going to keep moving on. You get the idea. But here's the thing. At work, in your family with your friend group, in the political arena, everywhere you and I are being pressured to pick a side, to put on a jersey. And in this one beautiful moment, Jesus says, oh, 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 you're on a different team. You're on a different team. In fact, if we were gonna push the sporting analogy a little further, what Jesus is really saying, and I know this isn't going to be popular, what Jesus says, if you're anywhere on the field, 
you're probably wearing stripes. You're on Team Zebra. You're a ref. You're a referee. Because see, peacemaking is a whole new direction for our lives. It's a completely different posture than playing the game that everybody's been playing. And it's reinforced by other things that Jesus says. John chapter 17, um, he's talking about those who would follow him and he's praying for his disciples in the moment, but he was also praying for future disciples. And as he's praying, he used this phrase that he used in other places and described us as being not of this world. Different team, different purpose, different citizenship. Or a little later in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, he, he says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And that seems to indicate that there's the earth, there's the world, and then there is the salt and the light, and they are separate from the world and they have a different function in the world, a different role in the world, a different purpose in the world, and it's peacemaking, peacemaking. I'll stand pretty firm on the, on the idea that the Apostle Paul was leaning into this when he wrote these things in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. He says this, so from now on, listen to this, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Why? We're not of this world, Right? Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Did you catch this? We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Which means that now I view the polarized situations that are in front of me differently. And I move into those spaces. I move into those scenarios uniquely from the people that are in those situations. Why? Because we are people of peace. We're people of peace. Now, there's good news and bad news with this. I've got two good things and one bad thing. So trying to outweigh the, the bad with the good. But, but first, the good news. For some of us, We've struggled to find our fit in this ever-increasing polarization of our culture. People are more polarized on everything now than really ever before. And it's trickled into families and workplaces and all this stuff, all of this animosity. And, and maybe it's been some office feud or maybe it's been a family feud or maybe it is the political arena. And, and you have noticed like you're having a hard time choosing sides. Like there's a tension and you've, you've found yourself going, I just don't know. Like, I, I mean, I understand. You're like looking at whatever the situation is. Can I, just, can I just tell you this? There's a reason that you're having those feelings in those moments. Because you've been called to something higher. You've been called to something different. And what you're sensing is a confirmation of the unique calling that we have in Jesus Christ. And the journey forward for us is not found in figuring out which side is right or which side is wrong, but in learning what it looks like to live as a peacemaker. That's what it means. So that's the first piece of good news. The other piece of good news is for those who have maybe watched the behavior or you've heard the rhetoric of people who have called themselves Christians and you've wondered, is that Jesus? Like the way they're behaving the way they're going about things, 
The way they're acting, the way they're talking. If you've ever scratched your head and gone, is that Jesus? Like, I, I just don't understand. Like, I read about Jesus in the Bible, and then I see Christians, and, and they, they behave this way, and you scratch your head. This is good news for you, because this is a confirmation. Now you have the answer. I, I, I love this quote from John Stott about peacemaking. He says, It's hardly surprising, therefore, that the particular blessing which attaches to peacemakers is that they shall be called sons of God, for they are seeking to do what their father has done, loving people with his love. So that's the good news. Now the bad news. You ready for it? Nobody likes the referees. In fact, on Thursday night, I said, anybody in the room love referees? One guy over there raised his hand up. Guess what? He's a referee. <laughs> he emailed me later. He said, you know, thanks for identifying this. This is how I feel all the time, right? Nobody likes referees. We always accuse the ref of being biased. You ever notice that? The ref is never on your side, ever. We always accuse them of being, in fact, I've noticed some people hate refs more than they hate the opposing team. We just hate refs, right? Why? Because we demand, deep down in our being, we demand, we insist, you had to have picked a side. You have to be on the field. You have to be A or B. You can't possibly be C. You can't possibly do this. But when you become a peacemaker, be prepared. Peacemaking, by the way, does not mean that everybody will like you. Little, little side note on peacemaking. Notice that it's active. Notice that it's not passive. It's not peacekeeping. It's peacemaking. And I think that's a really important distinction to make. We're not talking about putting our head in the sand and ignoring the problems or ignoring the conflict. We're not talking about being Switzerland here. We're talking about taking a posture or a position that is not represented in the world. We're talking about a new posture, a new way of moving into these scenarios. And let me just say, when you do that, be prepared. Be prepared for the person that comes up and says, but what about that issue? Or what about this thing? Or what about this argument? What about this? Be prepared because persecution is a part of peacemaking. Just look at Jesus. Greatest peacemaker in history. And people rejected him. Be prepared for that. Active peacemaking is going to create some sort of outcome. And so let me just explain why. Let me, let me say why I say this. If you're peacemaking in the way of Jesus, what is Jesus talking about when he talks about being peacemakers? Well, Jesus is appealing to this understanding of the Hebrew concept caught up in the word shalom. It's making peace, making wholeness. Shalom or peace is the wholeness of God. It means that, that human beings and the world we live in is functioning the way that God has created it to function, that people are living in relationships in a particular way, working a particular way, that there's a certain uh, amount of justice that's happening a certain way, that, that we live in creation, in the environment, in a particular way, that all of life is functioning this way. And when you are making peace, it means you are actively working towards the shalom of God. You're moving things in that direction. Jesus invites us into that, which means there are going to be some people, when you're making peace and making things whole, that are gonna be inspired by it. They're gonna love it. They're gonna go, this is the most beautiful thing. It's about time you came along. But there will be other people who will be repelled by it. It will happen. 
Let me also say this. If you're always being persecuted, it's probably because you're a jerk. Okay? So stop it. On behalf of all Christians everywhere, I'm inviting you to stop it, okay? But if you're never being persecuted, if you're never being persecuted, it may be because you're peacekeeping and not peacemaking. Are you with me on this? Being a Jesus person means you will likely never fit into the labels created by our culture because we are not of this world. We are not of the culture. We're invited to rise above. We're invited to be outside of it. We're invited to be of another kingdom. So, how do we follow the example of Jesus in a world that demands we pick sides? How can we joyfully accept the cost? How can we, how can we joyfully say, I'm gonna be okay when some people get upset because I made genuine peace and didn't pick the right side that they thought I should take? How do you do this? The answer is we look at the gospel. How do you do this as a person? How do you say, well, I mean, how do I navigate this complexity? My family will be upset if I don't, or the people at work, or what, you know, you do all these things. All we need to do is look at the gospel to see what Jesus has done to lift us out and to show us life. The single greatest way for you and I to be peacemakers is to acknowledge the peace that was made with us through Jesus. When we see the enmity that we had with God and we realize what Jesus did to resolve that, to make peace, when you see that, when you look at the cost, when you look at the love, when you look at the redemption, it takes the smallest of skirmishes that you're having within your family or work or wherever, and it takes the largest of catastrophic battles that are happening in the world, and even the, the, the largest things, all of it gets put in perspective, and it shows us a way forward. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I find it really important and appropriate that we're closing with communion today. And so I, I just invite you right now, if you received the bread and the cup when you came in, to take that out. The longer I live, the longer I live, the more convinced um, I am that Jesus knew what he was doing. <laughs> you with me on this? Some of you lived a little longer than me. Uh, I think Jesus knew, no, Jesus knew what he was doing, right? Jesus knew what he was doing. The, the physical demonstration, the demonstrative expression of all that has been done for us to make peace, to remind us to live a life that's unique, it was brilliant. Jesus, he knew, he, he knows, he understands that we are gonna live in a culture that demands pick a side, choose a team. He knows that, that day after day, we'll be worn down, we'll be tired, we'll think, how long do I have to keep standing in this space? And so he gives us this very physical, demonstrative example that reminds us over and over and over again, you're different. 
There's something that happened for you and there's something that happened to you and it makes you different. And when we do this, when we remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us, it allows us to move in that space and say, oh, that's right. This right here is the reminder that says, that's right, I'm different than, than what's happening in this scenario. I have a different role because of this. So I think Jesus was brilliant when he gave us this and said, do this regularly to remember me. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And after breaking it, he gave thanks. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this and remember me. Let's eat it all together. After they had eaten, Jesus took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Drink all of it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you made peace with us, peace between us and the one who created us so that we could be people of peace. Lord, we thank you for picking us for a different team and for giving us the freedom and ability to rise above and be peacemakers. Thank you, Jesus, in your name, amen. Would you stand with me? This week, um, before I give the benediction, I just wanna say this one final thing. This week when I was just thinking through this peacemaking thing and then this idea of the images came to mind, I was just looking at the images of what's happening in Ukraine. And right when I was in the middle of doing that, Mark Nicholas, our outreach and uh, missions pastor, called me and he said, hey, we've got a request from somebody who's a refugee. And I said, this is really interesting timing. And while I was sitting there, I just, I felt the need to share with you as a church that um, our community of faith is pretty deeply connected to folks that have been living in, fighting currently, and also fleeing Ukraine. A lot of people, staff members, different folks that have been affected by this. And so a lot of relationships and we made the decision at the beginning of this conflict that we would not say no to requests for finances to help get people out of Ukraine and to safety. And, um, you know, I, I asked Mark, I confirmed this on Thursday, that there's not been one request that's crossed my desk or his that we've said no to, that um, we've got people that have fled to Spain and to Italy and people that have fled to Mexico and Romania and all sorts of different places. And our church, you guys, have made it possible for those families to make it. Uh, one quick story. I didn't tell this in any other, any other services, but one family, the, the dad emailed me and um, they were fined at the German border because they didn't have enough car seats for all the kids they had in the car. They were fined hundreds of dollars that they didn't have. And just, I mean, to be able to step in that moment and say, we got you, we're gonna cover you. We'll make sure you guys have food on your table. So I want you to know that as a church, those images are heavy, but we as a church are connected to, to creating peace because that's the way of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.
So with that, if you'll maybe potentially hold your hands out to receive the benediction, I'll offer this to you. May you be men and women who resist the pool to pick sides. Will you choose team C? Will you rise above and may you see the world as Jesus sees it? And may you make peace in his name. Amen. 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 Love you guys so much. Thanks for being here today. Have an amazing day. Remember, there's bouquet making out in the commons. Have fun out there, and we'll see you guys next Sunday. See you later.